Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music. Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Nick Lane and Sarah M. Bimji. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we're talking to Elaine Goldsmith-Thomas. She's the producer of the hit movie Hustlers, but before that she got started in Hollywood as an agent. She was a power agent for people like Julia Roberts, Halle Berry, Madonna, and of course J-Lo. Yeah, she was like at William Morris, she was at ICM. She was Julia Roberts' agent when she made Pretty Woman. Like, it's crazy. and She's, you know, I hesitate to use the word legend because I don't want to sound like I'm kissing her butt, but maybe a legend. I yeah. mean, if you just look at her credits, her first movie she produced was Made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez. Then she made Mona Lisa Smile. She made The Boy Next Door, which was kind of like what revolutionized the Blumhouse model. She did the TV show Extant with Halle Berry, The Fosters, Shades of Blue, she produces World of Dance, or she's an EP on World of Dance, which is like a hit reality show, Good Trouble right now, and Hustlers, and she's got a bunch of other stuff. She also wrote and produced Second Act. I mean, there's a, a lot of impressive things going on here. She's the real deal, and I think what's really especially impressive about her is that she not only has great taste, not only has great convictions, not only has a great sense for talent and deals, but also has the creativity to back it up. So she's really the whole package. She's a classic producer in that way. She can pitch things. She can write a movie if it if that's what it takes. She can basically do everything she needs, but also has that ability to put a movie together and to sense what an audience needs and wants. And, you know, it's a really exciting, inspiring conversation to have. For sure. So a lot of times in this segment of the podcast, Matt and I will catch up. We'll talk a little bit about what we're working on and what we're doing. But I wanted to take a second to just, you know, really talk about the podcast and how we book our guests, because I wonder it might be interesting to some of our listeners. Yeah, this was kind of a unique situation, but the show has evolved over the last few years to it's no longer just, you know, our friends from the industry. But I think we've really made a strong effort to reach out to people that we don't know and to kind of hustle to find different voices and, and you know, people that, again, aren't, aren't just our old friends, basically. Because right. we started out, Matt and I are both 
directors and we basically tried to get all the people who took jobs away from us to be guests on our show. <laughs> and now we look at lists of great directors. We'll try to reach out, but probably a, one of the biggest sources of our guests is from publicists and PR companies. Like a movie's coming out. They want to get the filmmakers out there to talk about the movie and they contact us and we're kind of in this lucky position where we get contacted with way more guests and pitches than we actually have space to put on the podcast. Yeah, and it's an interesting process because I think most publicists, when they would reach out to a podcast similar to ours, in the same category as ours, I should say, you know, people want to talk to the stars of the of the show or movie or that they want to invite us to a press screening and then a junket. You know, there's kind of standardized ways in which a guest appears on a podcast or is interviewed by some sort of news or review outlet. Right. And a junket typically is where we would get like 15 minutes with Scarlett Johansson to talk about her new film. And we would pray that the question we're asking her is not something she just heard 30 times before. Anytime you're like watching like the local news and you see the filmmakers like in the director's chair with the like black backdrop and there's like a poster, like the posters on the easel next to them and your local movie critic is like asking them funny questions, that's at a press junket. And right. so ba- basically what happens is is those performers and, and filmmakers are all sat down and then in 15-minute increments, reporter after reporter after reporter after reporter comes in and basically does their very best to, to be interesting, but essentially still has to ask the same couple things of like, what's the movie about? Why did you like it? You know? Like sell the movie to the people who at home, basically. Right. It's pretty much the opposite of our podcast. It's the shallow dive into what can you get these people to say as in, quickly as possible. Yeah. yeah. So my wife used to do junkets, like she used to interview people. And did you know that at a lot of junkets, like when you go there, like you said, it's set up with a black background. They give you a chair to sit in. They give you the the posters are already there. Yeah, you're in the ballroom at the Radisson, basically. But also, they have the cameras set up and the lights set up and the audio set up, so you actually aren't filming anything. Yeah, they're doing it for you, and you go, you do the interview, and then they just give you a memory card, like a compact flash card. They're like, "Here's your interview. Go away." Yeah, <laughs> that's why they all look the same. Yeah, yeah, which makes complete sense. But so, when we start to work with a new uh, PR company. We have to educate them a little bit on the fact that we're not going to ask them for actors. Know, for actors, we're not going to ask Elaine, for instance, what it's like to work with J Lo, or like want to like figure out what the funny anecdote was to sell the movie to, you know, your average listener back home. And once they realize, like, oh, this is a real in-depth conversation about filmmaking, then they kind of get to use it as a antidote or as a as a, a way to break up the pace of a junket. So like they'll send a town car with their fancy director over and we'll like hang out and you know on the afternoon or oftentimes at the end of a long day of press screenings. Right. So the other interesting thing is that we usually insist on doing the interview at my house. <laughs> yeah. E- even if that means missing out on a great interview most of the time and that's also partially just due to everyone's schedules. Right. Like and it's hard to get an hour plus, probably closer realistically to two hours with a, a, an exciting director. It's kind of hard to do in the middle of the day. Yeah. I think for the first couple of years, we flat out rejected any phone interviews, even yeah. if it was with someone huge, just because we didn't feel like it would be part of the DNA of the show. 
Now we've done a few remote ones, and they've actually been pretty good. But actually, I learned from the Making Movies is Hard guys how to how to do a good yeah. remote interview from a technical standpoint. So when we got contacted from this Jake O'Connor at Sunshine Sex, uh, and he told us about Hustlers and that Elaine Goldsmith-Thomas would be a great guest for our show, we were interested, but due to scheduling issues and all these different things... We couldn't quite get her to come to my house. It happened to be that it was Hustler's opening weekend, and it did very well. I might say much better than expected than they than they thought it would do. It, yeah, I think it's one of those pleasant surprise sort of situations. Right. No and, one expects to have a hit movie on their hands, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, she has this giant hit, and we are this podcast that is trying to get her to come to my house some evening, the opposite direction from her house. And they said, well, look, we probably can't make it work so that she can come to your house, but can you come to her office on the Universal lot? Which we were like, sure. So again, you do not at all have to live in LA to do anything in this industry. But when you're here, things like this become much more convenient. And we just ended up having like this very LA day, kind of Hollywood day, which was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. I mean, you know, it's always nice to go onto a lot. I have spent a lot of time on the Warner lot, but not really a ton of time on Universal. And the fun part about the Universal lot is it's also part of the Universal Studios theme mm-hmm. park. Yeah. There's literally trams driving through the back lot where people are working and shooting stuff and developing things, and they look at you <laughs> to see if you're famous. And there's also rides, and you drive by like the yeah. Back to the Future Yeah, there's a giant place. minion looking down on all of us. Yeah, so it's really cool. And after our interview, we ran into... Another person we know, Bill Krebs, who's the one of the co-showrunners on Good Girls, NBC's Good Girls. And so we went to their set. We also know the DP of that show. And it just felt cool that, you know, yeah, to walk around and reconnect and remember the people you are. And it's just kind of kind of the things that you happen into when you are around here and around the, the business. Oh, and the other thing that happened is... We had told Elaine about another guest that we wanted to get on the podcast. And literally, as soon as we finished recording the podcast, Elaine picked up her phone and called that guest and told her to be on our podcast. Yeah, which I think when you listen to the interview, won't surprise you at all. Like Elaine's (laughs) the person who knows what she wants and doesn't suffer fools or waste time going to get it. And so she was like, oh, I had a great time. You know, I think that this person would be a great guest. I think that would be a good service for your listeners. And also that person would really like it. And like before we even had finished saying the person's name, she just was calling them. I literally took me a couple seconds to realize that, oh, she just called the office and is setting it up. Yeah. So now we're going to use Elaine to book all our guests because she seems to get people to answer their phones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's been uh, uh, kind of ignoring my emails on the subject, which is (laughs) strange. But has quite a few uh, web series pitches he'd like to tell you about, Elaine. Yeah. So, Elaine, if you're listening. Taylor would be great for, (laughs) you know, one of the side characters yeah (laughs) um you know the other thing that was a a real treat about talking with her is that she didn't sugarcoat how hard it is to make a movie right as a person who's made a ton and knows many many movie stars and has them attached to her movies and also how hard it is to make a movie with her you know like not in a mean way in a matter of fact way just acknowledging that like you have to build your network and build your connections in order to get 
scripts onto the desks of the people who are in this case gatekeepers this was like a classic hollywood day in a way that i haven't had in kind of a while right i really probably my favorite part of the conversation was exactly that when we assume that she she has the power to say i like the script and i'm gonna get this you know a-list talent attached to it but then she from her point of view has a very hard time to get movies greenlit climbing uphill yeah yeah so uh, everyone, everyone is battling, whether you're trying to get your short film into the local film festival or you're trying to get your, you know, $40 million feature with A-list talent. Hit movie into yeah. theaters. Yeah. So interesting. Can I say one more anecdote that I yeah. really was so charmed by? You don't have to listen um, to the interview. We'll just tell you the best. <laughs> no, no. So while we were there, we were kind of, because we we're in the offices and stuff, I think you and I so frequently now we're in this kind of new style of office that's an open floor plan and there's like a bunch of people and there's maybe a couple productions going and everyone's 22 and you know it's a great time and it's very familiar i always joke like we work in a lot of offices with empty kegerators and unused (laughs) ping pong tables yes and elaine was in like a like a bungalow you know next to amblin and the old hitchcock bungalows and it's like right. you know they're small across from sound stages yeah next to the will and grace building like what you first thought that hollywood, hollywood studios would look like that this is where she's working and she did a thing that i'd forgotten that people do in those offices where she'll be working she'll be reading a script or whatever and she'll just kind of say loud enough that everyone in the office can hear it like get me so and so yeah, and get then, me Michael on the phone. Yeah, and then her assistant will like pull, call up Michael's assistant and like be like, "Oh, this is Elaine for Michael." Blah blah blah, and then she'll be like, "Michael's on one," and then Elaine will pick up the phone and do it. And like I'd been around that many many times, but like that's not a that's a very Hollywood thing. That's not a, a thing that happens at a college humor or right. you know like also remember her background. William Morris, sure. ICM. Yeah, yeah. It's of such an agency, managery type of thing. And it just it took me back in a way that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah, it's cool. It's yeah. fun. Um, yeah. So here is the recording we did on our very Hollywood day with Elaine Goldsmith Thomas. After this word from our sponsor, we're back with Zach Lepovsky, the lead designer from Shotlister, to talk a little bit more about the app that people have been telling us they're loving. We heard that if you get the app, it has some shot lists built in. Uh, actually, it comes with a shot list for the boulder scene at the beginning of Indiana Jones. And it was really fun because I had to kind of build that shot list by taking the scene and looking at all the different angles and figuring out how, you know, oh, that that was probably shot with this. And then I have this book that's amazing that's all about the making of Indiana Jones. And I went back and they had like the production reports and stuff in there. So I actually figured out the day that the boulder scene was shot, which was like July 1st and 2nd in 1980 <laughs> wow. and so when you open up shotlister it's got all the shots you know to show you what a shotlist can look like and it even has the day that that scene was shot built into the schedule which i think is a pretty cool detail that no one ever notices but hey <laughs> as a fan it was it was fun to go back and check it out and is that the only shot list that comes with the app that is the only one that comes with the app because the whole point of the app is for you to create your very own. <laughs> it's there to kind of show you all the different settings that you can do, all the customization, all the different buttons, you know, basically how it should look to give you kind of like a pre-prepared little aperitif before you dive into creating your own shot list. But Zach, what if I don't have the money to buy myself a copy of Shotlister? That's totally fine. We're giving 50 free copies of Shotlister away every month forever. 
all people have to do is email at justshootitpod at shotlister.com and we'll send them a free copy if there's if there's any left. And if they don't get it, email us the next month. It seems like people have really been responding to it and uh, it warms our hearts. Yeah, and remember when you email Shotlister to let them know if you want the iOS, Android, or Mac OS version. I was getting all mushy and orange. You just go into the technical <laughs> in case you wanted to understand what our show was about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do it because people love the app and we believe if you get a free copy that you'll use it and you'll love it and you'll tell everyone you know about it. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast even months from now, even years from now, email justshootitpod at shotlister.com for your free copy of Shotlister. We are here with Elaine Goldsmith-Thomas. How's it going? It's going. Yeah, you had quite the weekend, huh? We did. It was it was um, unexpected, and um, I, we were overwhelmed. I was actually curious about whether it was unexpected because it was it was unexpected to us. Because well, I mean, look, you 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 see tracking and you hear buzz, but we've all been there. We were all a little gun shy, as Jennifer said. It's like puppies that have been maybe abused. You go, ow. Because we've all felt the sting of um, armchair critics, and we've all felt the sting of where people don't show up and it doesn't make sense. And and it's your baby out there. It's your baby. You don't love them any differently. And so you're incredibly vulnerable and conversely incredibly grateful when people embrace it with the fervor that they did this weekend. Yeah. Well, both Matt and I saw the movie in theaters separately. Good. Matt went to the rowdy screening yeah, last the, night. The Alamo Draft House does these like kind of like twenty one and over like, and they encourage you to kind of they, be you're loud. encouraged to, oh, to be loud. So it's the it's the it's, it's the, the, the two thousand and nineteen version of um, what was that Rocky Horror? Rocky Horror, exactly. Yeah, yeah. a little earlier in the night though. So. I see. <laughs> but like you know from tracking and testing, like and you probably just know from being in the business that the movie is good, but that doesn't necessarily tell you that it's going to do so well or that like oh so many goodness, no. people are uh, I, I knew it was great i knew i knew when i read the script it was great um i knew it was complicated but because it's complicated it's difficult sometimes to sell and add to that you're selling in a universe where people are encouraged to sit down and binge watch fill in the blank so you have so much competition to get them out of the houses that even myself included, I'll go, oh, I really wish I would have seen that. I think it's interesting to hear you talking about how hard it is to sell the movie when it probably, a lot of filmmakers nowadays like look at someone like you as someone that can kind of green light a movie based on... I, I, can't, I can't green light a movie. I, the, I, the only people that green light the movies are the ones with the money, and I'm not the one with the money. Sure. Um, but I guess there's this idea that talent, like a, attaching someone like J-Lo to a movie is kind of what gets it greenlit. Is that not true? No. In this case, it wasn't, certainly. We we had to do a lot. We had to hustle to get this movie made. It was passed on by everybody in town. Annapurna pulled the plug twice. They, they, they didn't step up to the table twice, I should say. And one time, they didn't step up fast enough, and Jennifer said, I can't do it. I'm going to spend the summer with my kids. Um, I want to be, I want time off. And then they came back to us and said, okay, we'll do it later, please. And so we said, okay. And they were supposed to do it, I think it was in November of 2018. And 
they didn't step up, even though they said they were, they didn't. For a host of reasons, you'd have to ask them. And we were stuck because we had passed on other films and we really believed in this. So Lorreen Scafaria, Jessica Elbaum, Jennifer and I put a big boulder called Hustlers on our back. And we, you know, we sent it out to the town and everybody responded that they thought it was a really beautifully written script. But And Lorraine was attached to direct at this point? Yes, and Jennifer was attached to star. Right. So was, it just goes to show you that just because you have a brilliant filmmaker and a brilliant star, you don't just get a green light. And there, this was a complicated story about power and greed and the American dream. It's about marginalized people who are usually in the background of movies like Goodfellas or shows like Sopranos. They're the people spinning on the poles, but you never focus a light on them. Add to that that we wanted to make them a diverse group of women. And add to that that what they did was something that you don't necessarily condone. It was complicated. So in defense of the industry, I understood the hesitation, but we went and we met with every single person, streamers included, which was the big surprise. I would have thought that the streamers would have jumped, and they didn't. No way. Like, you go to Netflix with something like this, and they don't jump on it? They passed. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Even with, did you have, like, Lizzo and Cardi no, B and that whole no, crazy cast? No, that no, I didn't have them. But you had Jennifer Lopez. I had Jennifer, and I had a script, and I had a filmmaker with a great reel. But the problem was, Jennifer plays Ramona, Jennifer's character is kind of a siren. I think the reason Jennifer is so insanely good in this is that she really plays this character three-dimensionally and and unabashedly honest. So Ramona, with her seductive dance that blows everything away, is luring in not only Destiny and not only the people in the club, but the people in the audience into her, kind of like a mythological siren, you know, into her web. And she's doing it to form a family, yes, and for sisterhood, yes, but also it's manipulative. She's getting a girl gang together because Mermona is a survivor. Her days as a stripper are numbered. And she needs to figure out her pivot, her second act, if you will. And she can't do it alone. So she lures these people into her plan. It's not necessarily, she's not a hero, by doing that but you understand her and you understand the complexity because it doesn't mean she doesn't love them she does but what she's doing is not necessarily um something that is you would celebrate so the main response we got on the script was we love it and my god j-lo this is going to be amazing but would you make the people that they 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 drug i hope i'm not ruining this for anybody but the strippers take this a little far and they they drug the patrons the wall street guys and this is a true story and it's based on a true story would you would you make them rapists you know the, that they only drug the bad guys sure, to justify it to justify them sure, drugging right. it first right. of all do you ever justify drugging sure. anyone no um and no this is a based on a true story that's like and and, and I remember yet. saying to one studio executive, would you say this to Leonardo DiCaprio? Would you say, okay, you're doing Wolf of Wall Street, but only scam the bad guys? No, what makes it interesting is he went too far. What did they say when you said that? Um, That's such a good this burn. Is, this That's isn't so Wolf of Wall Street. 
Yeah. They, like they were afraid, they said. I mean, as it turns out, maybe it was. But they were afraid. They said that people wouldn't want to see these, these, these women of question who were doing, who were sex workers drugging men. They wouldn't want to see them taking advantage of men, forgetting the fact that, that men had, 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 had caused this Wall Street collapse. They, they, they were sure that the audience would be turned off to it, and it looks like they were wrong. Totally. One of the things I think of when I think of movies I really like, like what makes a good movie is that I'm surprised by what happens next. And when you start pushing the villains to be super big villains and the heroes to be super big heroes, nothing is surprising anymore. Cause... Well, and nothing is real. People are complicated. Good people do bad things. Um, there are things I'm sure you've done that you wish you hadn't, and you and, and me. And we have to learn to forgive ourselves and be better tomorrow than we are today, right? And I think that that's destiny's journey. I don't know that Ramona is introspective enough to say anything other than what's my next step. Destiny had a more of a conscience. So what you see in these characters is gradations of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what's compelling. I would call this a chick flick only because the industry the boys club sorry boys it's okay um there's an insidious um connotation to chick flick as if it's something to be dismissed and it's trivial and it's light and it's bullshit i think a chick flick is something with complicated characters for men and women it gets you talking i think the best movies are chick flicks so the, now i'm going to start using that term in terms of successful movies like broadcast news classics that you love. That's my and number one, actually. It, it's up there for me, yeah. too. It's yeah. brilliant, right? Yeah, it's it's so Jim good. Brooks, brilliant. Chick flicks aren't just rom-coms, and rom-coms are fun. If they're complicated, meet the parents. I'll call that a chick flick. You know, it's a great comedy that, with great layers. I think chick flicks are movies that are really well-written, with complicated characters because women, you can't bullshit us, you know? I think that fallen heroes are something we've learned to live with, both in ourselves and in our world. Yeah, I I think probably the negative connotation to a chick flick is people just expect it to be cliche and obvious. And and from the very first scene... but, but, But wait a second. That's, I'm sorry to say, the boys' club reducing women and women's movies and romantic comedies to something like that. But if you go back all the way to like my best friend's wedding where the girl doesn't get the guy. Right, right. I'm just saying the term. I, I, guess I know. I, no, I know the term. I'm, I'm aware of it. And it makes me cringe when someone says, oh, is it a rom-com? Because now fans are doing it. Fans have taken the, they, they, they've taken a whole slice of movies and labeled them chick flicks as if there's something bad and i guess i want to say if it's a chick flick it's usually really good sure yeah right well yeah i mean to me like just the opening shot from hustlers like you were basically setting up the entire world the characters everything the balance the clientele the workers the drama the relationships and there's like five lines of dialogue that are kind of just like happenstance like hey mama you know like to me like right after that first scene i was like here to my wife Look at how well they set up this movie without like telling us what the movie's sure. about. Like it's yeah, just it's a, like it's a perfect example of show don't tell. Like tell, really perfect right? yeah. opening filmmaking, which is like I think when you think say what the negative connotation of a chick flick is, it's like the opposite of what 
the negative. And what I would say is let's start calling it a chick flick because that's what it is. There, the negative connotation exists because people keep using it in a negative way. So I want to, I want to change that and say it's a chick flick because it's complicated and it shows and it doesn't tell and it gives you, um, uh, insight into characters. Yeah. It's a chick flick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll do that on the podcast. Thank you. Uh, I, so let's take a look actually, Elaine, because I think if you look at your, IMDb page, right? It's I don't. Oh, sure. Well, <laughs> I don't. Well, well, it's a long list of uh, of awesome movies of chick flicks, right? That are in a very specific budget category, and none of them seem to feel like they're based on IP or anything like that. And I think that I think as filmmakers, right, you kind of grow up thinking like, I want to make original stories, and I want to tell these, you know, original like new voices, and like be a part of that movement. And we've watched that the number of those movies of original movies get smaller and smaller. And especially in that budget range, like hustlers is right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where it's got movie stars. It's, it's totally amply funded, but not a giant CGI spectacle. Mm -hmm. How'd you do it? Right. You've been making these movies for a long time. Cause I don't think of what I can't do. I think of what I will do. And my whole career, I tried to answer my own truth. I can't think what you guys want to see. I've got to think what I want to see and hope there's enough of me out there. And I think you have to answer your own instinct. You know, I think you get fucked up when you try to guess. Like if I were to make a horror movie, because I don't watch horror movies, but I respect them and there are some I loved. Like I loved, look who didn't love The Exorcist and who didn't love Rosemary's Baby because those are characters you think of Ruth Gordon in Rosemary's Baby. I don't think of the devil. I think of Mia Farrow. I think of John Cassavetes. I think of I think of you know Roman Polanski invading the Dakota. This the, the Dakota itself was a character. The characters. So I have to look at what it is I like and hope that enough people out there will like it too. I used to be afraid, or not afraid, I used to be ashamed that I was from the valley. What part of the valley? Uh, deep. Sure. I, I my lived, wife is from Northridge. So. I li- oh, really? Yeah, so yeah. I lived so deep in the valley that I, my aspirations were just to get closer to Ventura Boulevard. Sure. Yeah. Um, and South were, of the boulevard, as they say. I mean, right? you yeah. know, we, we, I was born in Pacoima. My mom called it Arlita. We then moved to Sepulveda. My mom called it Northridge. I never knew where I lived. I just knew it wasn't good enough. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. She started doing what I call the Zamboni, you know, yeah. polishing. <laughs> right. It was like, eh, you live, sure. just tell them sure. you live in yeah. Arlita. Beverly Hills just adjacent. say you live in yeah. Northridge. Yeah, I'm just so, hot. Oh, that's all I know. Yeah. Yeah. I was Northridge adjacent. But I I didn't realize it was my friend, uh, Carrie Woods, years and years ago, who said to me, you, you know, first of all, you've got a big V across your, you think you're some like, you know, uh, bomb vivant world traveler. Everyone can tell you're from the Valley. I, I was insulted by this, but what I realized is it informed my strength because it's very middle, especially in the seventies, it was very middle America out there. And it was when you're growing up out there and you know, there's still orange groves and lemon groves. And it was, it was, it was sadly very segregated. And it was as if I was in middle America, the Brady bunch world, only our house wasn't as nice. And I think that informed something that ended up, you know, playing itself out great for me because 
I understood what people liked. My taste was very similar to middle America. Give me a mall and I'm happy. I love a good parking lot. You know, when I moved to New York in, in, in the mid nineties, I was most happy in Long Island. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was, it, it was, it's, it's interesting. So what it taught me is lean into the thing about yourself that you may not want to share because it may be the universal um, code to unlock your success. Well, I'm curious to actually to dig into that a tiny bit deeper. You know, I think for the longest time, everyone is, you know, says like, write what you know and write about yourself and try to take your personal experiences and, you know, make, tell stories about them, which is kind of what you're saying, make movies for yourself. But is there ever a situation where, we've already seen like a certain type of person. There's so many people that have made that type of movie that it's no longer like, you know, like I'm, you know, white Jewish guy grew up in Orange County. Like I could tell my, the story of my childhood, but it's, it's been told, you know, on film many times. I don't know. I don't know if it's been told. You got secrets in you. I mean, look at that. What was that movie? American beauty that they did those years ago. Sure. Mm -hmm. Gosh, it was about suburbia, but it was about secrets. Right. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, Kevin Spacey, we, we, he, he did a great job. We understand why he, he probably pulled on his own life Mm -hmm. and, you know, just be, you're not who, you're not just some Jewish kid who grew up in Orange County. There's stuff to you. There's layers to you. There's secrets. There's regrets. There's what if, you know, I put myself to sleep at night sometimes telling myself stories, thinking of things, alternate universes, Mm-hmm. different opportunities I wonder if lives. I said yes yeah. here yeah. I wish I didn't do that creating worlds where I had or had not wondering what the future will be like I used to really want to go back to the past now I really want to see the future I really want to see it somebody said to me I heard once if you brought a person I don't know how they would know this but if you brought a person from 150 years ago into the future what do you think the first thing is that they'd notice? Do you what 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 do you think? I mean, it so seems like cell like, phones. It's like eighteen sixty five. Oh, you think the first thing they'd notice? They come mm. and they go cell phones. Is I mean, that what I you guess think? Maybe cars. cars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So no. what? I'm trying to think of what the biggest what visual the, yeah. thing. What yeah. this futurologist said they would do is cover their ears. Oh sure. Because yeah, yeah. So the way yeah. we process white noise, they would just be freaked the fuck out with the noise. We want to ask a, a real specific question or kind of back to what I was, I was talking to you about, like the original stories and what excites you. So when you get a new script or a project and someone's pitching you on, on making a movie, do you like, does the setting and the character, like if you saw it took place, for example, in Orange County versus at a strip club in New York or versus Afghanistan, like do, oh, do those care. settings I mean, make well, a difference yeah, to you? I don't know. I, I might be a little less if it was in the desert but i care about the characters and i would be interested in the time period and i would be interested in universal questions because i believe people are interested in universal questions i believe people want to know what's going to happen 150 years from now so the are we big on themes, space the big yeah. themes are the yeah things are we on the yeah. space station 150 yeah. years from now i i'm dying to know i believe that i mean they're I can't imagine that we're the only intelligent life in 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 a in a billion universes. I'm dying to know will they ever make contact? 
that that's that's a universal theme because it speaks to being alone and it speaks to eternity and it speaks to mortality and it speaks to tomorrow and i think that's interesting i don't know if you do but i do so that so if somebody gave me the the book contact which i remember reading as a, a, a when i was young and going i love this and then it got made i wasn't that young because I, I, I when it got made i remember reading the script there was one draft by this writer michael goldenberg that was just fucking brilliant and it it captured me but again i think movies are about characters one flew over the cuckoo's nest they're about characters they're about survival because i think we're all trying to figure it out so i don't know i i I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just felt like I needed to do something. And I think that my mom's Zamboni of my life, you know, say you do this, say you do this. Yeah. You know, that there was always made me feel like there was a little bit, you could always polish a little bit probably. And when I was um, 17, before I was going to go off to college, I had a, a boyfriend who I worshiped who was about five foot four and I was about five foot seven and I just thought he was the biggest man on campus I was in high school senior year I graduated early actually and he um he wanted an agent and he had heard he was an actor he was an act he decided he was an actor yes and he was Which cute. Is step one he was way. cute <laughs> I won't say his name but he was cute in those days and he wanted Michael J. Fox he, yeah he wanted to be he wanted an agent and he had heard that my cousin was um, a famous composer, Jerry Goldsmith, who was distantly related to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, Jerry, I'll call him. Sure. sure. I would do anything for this guy. I really wanted him to like me. And, you know, I must have had the self-confidence of a gnat because, like, you know, whatever he wanted. He wanted money for his portfolio. Sure, I got money. And I, you know, awful, awful. Because I just, I, you know, I think my dad made me believe that no was just, just meant you needed to try harder no meant try again it was all it was a game of getting the yes and i learned how to get the yes and so when i hear no i was devastated even as a child so my this guy who shall be nameless wanted an agent so i worked at a card store i think the summer between um, high school and college and i got all the girls in the car i got a list of franchise agents which may might have been close to ten thousand. it was so tiny i couldn't read it and i had good eyes then and um we all put them in order of where they were and on my days off i went in my dad's dodge dart swinger to with i that i put bathtub appliques over god bless him for letting me do that and i went the first place I went to was the William Morris Agency. The receptionist was there, and I said, I have an appointment with Mr. Morris. And she said, uh, try, try Forest Lawn. <laughs> and I learned that you get friendly to receptionists to get to the Which is a cemetery agent. for those of yes. our listeners that don't know. <laughs> and I learned to get friendly to the receptionist to go to the agent. The agent, you go to the, I mean, receptionist, secretary, secretary, agent. Meanwhile, I had this guy calling me going, Where, where's my agent? Right. And I'm, uh, you know, know and, and, and yeah, knows. I'm not, I, I'm not going to let you, know you come did? over here and yeah. fuck you. And yeah. I mean, it was awful. It was awful when I think about it. Like, where was your self worth? Oh well, I was a kid, and I just thought he was everything. The sun and rose and set, and I had to get the yes. I was driven. I don't know what made Sammy run, but I was running. 
And so I spent the entire summer and I finally went to this place on Sunset Boulevard. It was this agency called the Dryden MacArthur Agency. It's no longer around. And if they're alive, I apologize. But I went there and look, I had hair down to my ass and what Birkenstocks on, whatever I was wearing. And I got friendly receptionist. She told me when to come back. I came back. I got friendly secretary. She said, no, he's in a bad mood today. And I was out of time. I had spent the whole summer. So I saw him behind a scrim. And I said, excuse me, can you, can, can I see you for two minutes? I mean, for one minute I have, and this guy who I was in love with was short. So I was trying to incite every short actor I could. I have like Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman, every, anybody I could think of that was short and cute. And I said, what's it going to hurt you? And he pops up, he goes, what? I said, what's it going to hurt you to give me five minutes to just listen to me? I mean, this guy could be somebody. And he goes, okay. And my heart was in my throat and I go inside and he's hitting on me and whatnot. And I'm, I'm trying to act professional. He said, are you his manager? I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and here's his portfolio, which I had paid for. Um, and, 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 I, and, and there he is leaning against a car, smoking, looking cool. And again, he was cute. And I said, he's talented. Trust me. I think he's got something. Had you ever seen him act before? I had in like school things, but it didn't matter. I realized suddenly that this was not a finite answer that being an agent that that this guy was going to put his finger in his mouth to feel which way the wind was blowing and I knew how to blow the wind so I suddenly in that moment it clicked and I said you're going to regret it if you don't take five minutes and meet him you'll say there was this woman he goes okay enough so I go to the payphone because it's before cell phones and I said hi so-and-so, I have an appointment with you. He goes, well, who else does he represent? Like, what a douche, you know? <laughs> and I, I, I said, I, you know, I saw Lauren Green on a wall, but maybe that was somebody else. I don't know who he wrote. It was Hal Stallmaster. I said, just take the meeting. So it's the end of summer. I have to go up and I'm going to do my first year at Berkeley. And I go up and I am so homesick and I'm calling him. And this is before answering machines too. Um, or I think there were answering machines, but you know, he no, lived he lived at home sure. and i'm calling and i'm speaking to his mother and she's saying oh he didn't call you back yet and that's pathetic and i'm really and finally he calls me and he goes you know you you have to stop calling it's embarrassing and i went okay i just wanted to know how it goes he said i got um a role if you want to tune in um on, <laughs> on tuesday on on chips now in those days you'd get a role you'd film it it would be on like two weeks later sure. i guess they didn't bank it so I got everybody in my dorm and sure, like we, yeah. you know, through we this all, agent? huh? Was it through the, through your agent? Yeah. That you got yeah. him? Yeah. No, oh, he, the agent signed him. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I, and, and, and we're all watching and there he is. He's the second guy on the freeway who, 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 who's being like a real asshole to Poncho. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, oh my God. Now I think his face is going to be chiseled into the, into the, the sure. bedrock of Mount Rushmore. I'm, I'm <laughs> certain of sure. it. And I'm calling to say, you know, I call him and I say, listen, it was brilliant. And I noticed that nuance that you mm-hmm. did to, you know, I could yeah. see. And, you know, I, I, again, I realized that I had to feed the narcissist that he was. And by the way, I believed everything I was saying. I, I thought he was spectacular. And it was only a matter of time before he got a semi-regular role on Happy Days. Now it's Christmas break and all I can do is wait to see him. And I'm calling, calling. Finally, he agrees to see me. And he says, listen. Anson Williams and I are friends, okay? Donnie Most and I are like that. You've got to stop calling. 
All right. I'm an actor now. I, do you sure. know what Stanislav means? And I said, yes, I do. Because I, 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 I was, you know, I, I understood what, what uh, method acting and all that. He said, I basically, you know, bye. And I was devastated. Right? Did he ever say thank you? Well, it comes around. Life is funny that way. Because I ended up finishing college and not knowing what I was going to do, thinking I could be a lawyer. Not sure. I went back to the Valley and um, I was going to actually work on um, a show, but I heard there was an opening at the William Morris Agency. And I always remembered how great it felt when Ray Dryden said yes to me. It was a rush like you cannot believe. So I... I, I went for this interview and the receptionist that was there was the one the that had one. told me to go to Forest yeah, Lawn. Yeah. I, thank goodness she didn't remember me, though I remembered her. And I got a job in the theater department working for a woman named Gail Nackless, who was lovely. And it was theater in L.A., which is a bit of an oxymoron. Um, but I worked really hard. And after about two and a half years, I got promoted to the motion picture department. I wanted TV, actually. But I got promoted to the motion picture department. And the first call I got on the desk was, hi, it's, it's, it's Ray Dryden for Peter Meyer, who was my boss. And I said, Ray Dryden, do you remember me? I I introduced you to this guy and you got him this role and happy. And I don't know what's happened, but oh my God, that's so crazy. What a small world. And he said, I want you to know I loaned that guy. $12,000 $12,000 and he skipped town. Now I think I'm going to be fired and because he is best friends with my yeah, boss. And sure. oh my, and as luck would have it, my mom runs into this guy's mom in the mall, Northridge Mall. And oh gosh, you know, she says he's, um, my son is back in town. And my mom says, so is Elaine. And they always wanted us together. They didn't know what a fucker he was. So they gave, um, my mom got his number. She gave it to me. I gave it to Ray. He gave it to his lawyer. And they collected their money. (laughs) Now, what's interesting is that when I became an agent a few years later, because I was hungry to get the yes. Sure. And it was a maze that I was determined to run. Yeah, you've demonstrated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I, um, he called me and several times begging to see me. I'll do anything if I, and it's interesting. You think, oh my God, that must have felt great, but it didn't. So it is odd how life plays out um and things inform your own character but i was an agent for many years um i mean i i I, like i said i graduated college young then i started young so i was an agent um until you know i was an agent in the late 80s all the way through the 90s um from william morris and then I decided to leave. That is one hell of an origin story. Yeah, it's a a good one. But it's also an example that you just don't know. There's no, there's no map, you know? I think that it's interesting, though, even in the details that you choose to tell, like you can see how, you know, you're figuring out Hollywood and you're getting that first taste and like how that can kind of bring you back how you kind of know what you're getting into a little bit more i think there's a lot of uh really interesting little nuggets that you kind of well yeah and it was such a boys club william morris in the 80s it was so abusive and bullying and entitled and scary sure yeah to be a loud jewish woman from the valley well so 
Yeah, so you 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 said you left, but you kind of went to the other side, right? The people that you were you left working, the agency, you left now, the agency now side. to to become a producer. I you know what it was. I always wrote. So as far back as there was a movie called Honeymoon in Vegas, and I'd read the script, and I called the writers. I was so ballsy. I called the writers and I said, "You need a better ending." It, in, in the movie, in the script, Did it was... Did you represent them? Or no. You, you just read the script? I had read it because they had submitted it for one of my clients. And I called them to pass. And I said, <laughs> but I have an idea. Because in the script, it begins with this woman, Millie. Uh, the, I'm sorry, this 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 guy going, my my wife is, is, is fucking Mike Tyson. <laughs> it, she's fucking Mike Tyson. And then you see a picture of her with curlers and, and, and Nick Cage goes, you know, oh, yeah, okay, got it. But he's so desperate. He takes the case. I said, you got to pay it off at the end. You've got to, you know, at the very end over credits have Mike Tyson walking out with Millie. No, no picture, you know, and he called and they did. And he called me and he goes, that was really good. Are, do you write? And I said, I don't know. I'd, I'd had teachers tell me you should write. I, oh, my whole life. You probably also read like thousands of scripts at this point. I had read thousands of scripts, but I always, I would go to, I would see a movie and I'd say to my um, husband, you know, they should have ended it this way. I was always rewriting. <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> Talk about the yeah. Zamboni. Sure. So <laughs> I, I always, and, and, and it was Andrew Bergman who said, wow, you really should do it. And then later Ron Bass said to me when we were, when, he was working on my best friend's wedding. Were you and representing actors or film I represented directors? actors. I represented mm-hmm. Julia Roberts for most of her for, for from eighty eight till Aaron Brockovich. Oh, so anyone that wanted to get her a script sent it to you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and other people. But Julia's rise was meteoric and Are you the I one that pitched her. the because the, doesn't Pretty Woman famously have had a different ending originally? Well, yeah, that wasn't me. That was Pretty Woman was a dark movie called Three Thousand, where the you know the the money floats down Hollywood Boulevard as they go their separate ways. But that was the script Julia had wanted to do was Three Thousand, and then we sold it to Disney and Gary Marshall, rest his soul, and Steve Ruther and Laura Ziskin all rest their souls. Oh my gosh, um, envisioned a more comedic movie, and um, and Barbara Benedict actually did work on script on set and it became pretty woman no that that wasn't me i was lucky enough to be a bystander at that movie and really learned so much um but it wasn't really the movies that julia and i said yes to it was the ones we were smart to avoid again it 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 reinforced my idea that speak to your own truth you know um and she often said that you know, I was more ambitious than she, you know, my ambition, I, I wanted her to do these things. She's, she's a brilliant actor and, and I think was brilliant in those movies in the nineties and has continued to be brilliant in, in later movies. Can I mean, can we date, sorry, just take a real quick detour. Cause I think our listeners, this is like real juicy stuff and it, it might be a little too specific, but you represent Julia Roberts. Obviously you're Jennifer Lopez's producing partner. you produced for Halle Berry and so many of our listeners are probably like I have this movie I have the script I just need to get some talent you know attach someone a name so that I can get it financed like what is it when somebody sends you something that gets you interested that gets you to read the script that gets you to not pass it's well written there's a hook someone yelling we just need five minutes of your time always 
and I'm and I'm and I'm very guarded about it. It's hard because I'm going to tell them not to stop, and then I'm not going to be the one that. But it'll get to me. It's hard because it's 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 hard. You know, people try to reach me on Instagram. I have like, you know, sure. We saw like followers, six, sixty thousand followers. followers. Yeah, it's a lot of people. It's like converting to Judaism. If someone comes and says, "Hey, I want to be Jewish," you'll turn them away. I won't. I, I, I won't turn them away, but. You know, I, 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 it's, it's hard. It's, um, it's hard. So I don't know. I don't know. There's no, I guess I would say there's no easy way to it, but you have to persevere. It will find its way to me eventually. I I mean, I love the things I love, by the way, the industry doesn't love. I love period pieces. I love things set in the seventies. The industry doesn't. I'm waiting for the industry to catch up to me. Because they're fucking wrong. Right. Yeah. See, that's that's where I go. I am so sure I'm right. I'm waiting for them to know it. Yeah, I, I love that so much. That's such yeah. a uh, it's, inspiring... It's the, but the hubris of that is kind of crazy. Sure. When I say it, I go, God, that's obnoxious. Well, but it it's the only way I can true, be because right? I know what I like. Like, yeah. I like, I love E.T. I didn't love Star Wars. And I think there's a division. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that people... I mean, there are people that love both of them, but I wasn't one of them. I loved the story of E.T. I loved the hope that there was an alien out there. I loved that, that Heartlight. I loved the characters. I loved the broken home. I loved the characters. Mm-hmm. I didn't connect with the characters in uh, Star Wars the same way. And is, is that might be sacrilege to say. Uh, you know. Well, something I heard that I think is really interesting is that... Uh, from an interview with Lorraine was that Hustlers, she had written it, but it was first went out to Martin Scorsese and a a few other directors before it came back to her. And she kind of had to, even though she had made like a movie with Steve Carell and Keira Knightley and had done all this other stuff, she still had to prove herself. And she wrote this. I I have to prove myself. People put you in pigeonholes. Oh, Elaine, you're not 30. Or, oh, Elaine, do you only like chick flicks? Ugh. Oh, Elaine, or she's a bulldozer. Yeah, I've had to be. I've had to be. When the will of what you want, when you, when I get behind something, I don't know how to stop. It's hard. Yeah. And I, and, and as you can see from my childhood, I take it very personally. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm a good loser. I don't feel like I lost. I mean, I've got a movie I've been trying to make since 2000 that keeps coming up really close and maybe i'll make it someday um and how many projects do you have running like in parallel right now i don't not that many i have ideas i have ideas i'm always looking for writers is that kind of the thing that gets you most excited about a project is the good good writing right the thing that gets me most excited is script i don't love being on sets i'm not good on sets i eat too much um me too yeah i like I, I I like working with writers. I like sitting down in a writer's room. And because I write, for example, my friend Darren Starr had me come over and work with him on his new show in Paris. Work in the writer's room, and I loved it. Creator love, of 90210 and Sex in the City. Right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I, love, I love writing. I love the process of writing. I love figuring it out. I love arguing over something. And I... I will say where I'm good is that I don't have an ego. It's like it, the best idea wins. Sure. So I love the process of writing probably more than being on a set. 
or, and I also love editing and I also love marketing. Marketing is like agenting because you're selling uh-huh. to everyone. Yeah. Editing is like writing because you can make it 15 different ways. Right. But I defer to great filmmakers for how they want to shoot it. And Lorene was so beautifully prepared. In what ways would you say that she was prepared? Like what struck you? She knew exactly what she wanted to shoot, but she was facile enough to take ideas too and suggestions, which I find really great. I I once worked with Bill Goldman and he said that the the secret to success is the absence of ego. Or as Nora Ephron, rest in peace, said, um, everything is copy. You know, you have a great idea, copy. (laughs) So yeah, Um, and she was facile she she knew what songs she wanted to use it was in the script that great soundtrack was in the script was usher in the script usher wasn't in the script it was somebody like that and that was benny medina who got usher oh yeah such a so good such a highlight you love that that? yes usher baby (laughs) i love that Um, so uh, before we go elaine and we have to wrap up but i I do want to talk just a little bit about this incredible partnership you have with jennifer right um tell us because I think that's a thing that people, filmmakers always dream of like, ah, oh, if I had like a great partner who understood me and we could fight for each other. Tell us a little bit about how that evolved. I was her agent. Um, you know, when I was an agent, I represented Julia and Jennifer, Madonna, Susan Sarandon, Tim Robbins, Spike Lee, a lot of people. Can, can I ask you a question about that? When people send you material for them, do you ever like read it and you're like, it, it's okay. It's got an interesting premise and ever say like, Hey, Madonna, are you interested in this? Like how, yes. how much of a wall are you between the, them? And... Well, I, when I represented them, yeah, if I thought something was good, I would call. I but mean, it, were you ever on the fence? Like, well, this is good, but I don't know if she would be into it or he would be into it. Sure. And... Sure. I mean, because just because it goes through the prism of what I'm interested in doesn't mean it's what they're interested in. And and then you have to factor in what's going on in their lives and their other businesses. And yeah, yeah, I, I wanted Julia to do Sleepless in Seattle very badly, as did Nora. She she passed, wow. you know, yeah. so and 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 was very happy with that choice. You know, um, it, it, it there was oftentimes where I think that there was something she should do or somebody should do and. We didn't agree, you know. Um, and then there were times where on Aaron Brockovich, I read a draft early, and and uh, my next door neighbor actually in New York, Richard Lagravnes, came on and really did a polish, and and that's when Julia got involved with he and Steven Soderbergh. So you saw the potential, but you felt like it wasn't there yet. It, it, I saw. The, well, we both felt it wasn't there. They were all my partners, and the same with Jennifer. Jennifer, I, what happened is I left. Um, Agenting, I ran Revolution Studios on the East Coast, and I made uh, these uh, great, what I want to call chick flicks, movies that had great characters in them from everything from, you know, 1330 to, you know, I was responsible for a series of films, and I was able to produce some of them. Then after that, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what my pivot was going to be, and that's really when I started thinking about Second Act. And I... uh, and Jennifer, who had been my dear friend since being my agent and um, who had come to visit me when I, I'd had breast cancer and she had come and been a really great supporter, said, why don't you kind of, you know, be my producing partner and look over my production company? And I went, mm, I'm not sure what I want to do. And she said, you can do it for other people too. And I went, okay. And I, it sort of, again, there was no plan. And then 
I sat with her. She was doing idle at the time, I think. And I said, okay, so, you know, I think every 10 years we have to reinvent ourselves. We have to do something else, something different, push ourselves to be the people that we hide inside a little bit and not be afraid. And so she needed to rebuild her film career. She had done like what to expect when you're expecting and plan B and she needed. So I said, let's do some salacious things. So the first thing we did was join house, join, join forces with Blumhouse and we did um, Boy Next Door. Oh yeah, which and, was kind of re-energized like the Blumhouse. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it, it was, it was it, and it was fun to work with them and we all made some money and then we had a deal with um, NBC. We made a big old deal. Then we decided, we found this complicated character um, named Harley Santos for Shades of Blue and I said, Maybe you do this. Then she was doing her show in Vegas at the same time. And it just started to spiral. And Second Act was kind of inspired at that time about wanting, not letting anybody stop you, not letting your age or your experience stop you. And what I would say to your listeners is there are many ways to scale this mountain of life. And, um, you might have to send out your idea. First of all, most producers don't take unsolicited material. So you've got to go through an agent or a lawyer. And if it if it's interesting to me, then I'll read it. If not, maybe somebody else will. Or you make it yourself. But there are too many opportunities now. It's 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 much easier now than it was twenty five years ago. You can put something on YouTube. You can enter it into festivals. If you have that fire, stoke it. Don't don't douse it. So if you can't get Jennifer Lopez or Julia Roberts, you should still go ahead and make you should your thing. Just shoot it. I I don't. You should just shoot it. I think now more than ever, it's not about stars. I think now more than ever, it's about concepts. And there's you have platforms. You have Quibi, guys. You have <laughs> Quibi. You have you have so many different platforms to make your mark on. Um, yeah. I would say look at the platforms and try and reach them. Figure out who's there. Scale mountains. That's what I'm doing as a producer. Who's at that place? Hmm. What are they looking for? Hmm. You know, there's a lot of opportunities now, way more than when I was a kid. Just shoot it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. That was a a perfect button. Thank you. This Um, is fun. Unpaid endorsements. First up, I've got a pair of... uh, Silly ones. Um, I've got a show called uh, The Righteous Gemstones. Are you guys watching that? It's on HBO right now. Yeah. Danny McBride. Danny McBride, uh, John Goodman, and uh, uh, Adam Devine play like this kind of like mega church pasture, but they kind of get into sort of uh, some crazy antics and stuff. But it's uh, really funny. And Adam Devine has always been pretty funny to me, but he plays kind of a sweetheart, kind of like a dumb sweetheart in this show. And it's really extra charming to see a different side of him. So. Righteous Gemstones. We're about halfway through this season right now, so you can catch back up on HBO, and I've really enjoyed it. And then my other one is so dumb, but really, I'm so charmed by it. There's a YouTube channel called Miniature Drums, and it's where a faceless man has a tiny little drum set that's like really like perfectly replicated and like spread out, and he just does covers of pop songs, but uh, with like matchsticks, and he does it in the bathroom, I think, because of the acoustics. But so it's just this weird, entertaining thing to see a person play. What do you find entertaining about it? (laughs) I think I miss the era of the internet where it was just kind of like for weird sake. Like this was a sort of entertainment you would never see 
on television, obviously, and doesn't really have any ulterior motive besides like this kind of strange skill because he nails the songs. He plays like very technically challenging drums songs. So he'll do a lot of like metal and things like that. And so it's just this peculiar window into a person who just wants a little slice of attention and figured that the best way to do it would be by playing a tiny drum set in his bathroom alone. It's like such a unique, strange little slice of life. So miniature drums. Cool. I'll check it out. I think I might have endorsed this before, but something that I do a lot, especially if I'm like in the middle of getting dressed or something and I need to make a phone call, uh, you know, I'll say, hey, Siri, call Elaine Goldsmith Thomas or whatever. But then I have have to run over to the phone and hit the speakerphone button so that I can talk while I'm getting dressed. But I realized a few months ago that if you say, hey, Siri, call Elaine Goldsmith Thomas on speakerphone, that Siri will already oh. put it on speakerphone when really? I call you. Yeah. That's pretty that, good. That Siri knows how to do that. I am discovering shows that I love that everybody else has already known about. like Seinfeld. No. <laughs> the Americans. Oh, yeah. If you haven't... Yeah. If you haven't binged all six seasons, you don't know what great drama is. It's beautifully done. Can I tell you, I started watching that show after the third podcast I listened to. Someone said they like love. The oh, there you go. It, 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 it's so insanely good. I, I, I sought out the uh, cr- the creators of it. It's amazing. I think Fleabag is amazing. Mm, yes. It took me a couple episodes and then I was just hooked. Um uh, I love Succession on HBO. Mm-hmm. I'm anxious to see the final season of The Man in the High Castle yeah. um, on uh, Amazon and uh, Mrs. Maisel. So that gives you a little insight into... And by the way, when I get really stressed, I watch The Great British Baking Show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. it. So good. Even on reruns, yeah. I wonder who's going to... How are they going to make yeah. that pavois? Yeah, yeah. Or is there is there jelly going to set... And will the layers be good enough for the, uh, Paul Hollywood? I mean, I, I watch that. So th- that's my, those are my secrets now out to the, to the, to the people out there. Very embarrassing secrets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's cool. great, yeah. Well, well thanks uh, so much, Elaine. I love Just Shoot It. This yeah, is, and, uh, now I have to listen. Oh, for yeah, sure. Please, yeah. Um, I'm trying, I think I'm, I'm trying to get Jessica Elbaum to come on the show also. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, she just called. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, um, definitely get her. She's 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 had two great. In addition to to hustlers, she and she found the article, not me. Oh, interesting. Um, she also produced Booksmart, right? And yeah, she yeah. just produced, uh, yeah, I mean, and and Dead to Me. Yeah, and I mean, pretty much, I can't watch a, something and not see her name pop up. Oh, well, good. She's so. she's a great girl too. Well, cool. You can email us if you have any questions about what Elaine said. Let us know. You can email us at justshootapod at gmail I'm at ocaplin on Instagram, and I'm at Mr. Matt Enlo. This episode is edited by Sarah Weirda. You're listening to the Free Music Archives. Artist Jazar as our outro music. It's produced by Madeline Rosewatt and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.